Good morning. My name is Becky Horst. One of my jobs is coordinator of convocation, and I just have an announcement to make before we begin. The purple sheet, the schedule that you received in your mailbox back at the beginning of the semester, had an event planned for February 15th called African American Experience at Goshen College. We've had to reschedule that because of some transportation difficulties. That will be a bonus convocation this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. African American student experience from several generations hosted by our own Nate West, so you won't want to miss it. Now today's convocation. We're glad that you joined us this morning as we're going to be talking about a topic that isn't always um, comfortable to discuss openly. This morning we're talking about pornography. It's a real life issue, one that many people struggle with, but we don't usually talk about it, so it becomes a secret. We hope this morning can begin to open up opportunity for discussion and chances to break down some of the secrets that bind us. In Convo this morning, we are grateful to be able to share a student's reflection of his journey. I want to recognize the risk that the student has taken as he allows his story to be shared, and I want to thank him for this. I know that in taking time to put his thoughts and reflections into words, he hopes that it will give others the courage to look at their own journey. Jake Scheip, Yoder Hall resident director, will be reading the student's reflection. Let's listen to his story. I don't know who wrote this story, but I want to thank them for their honesty, courage, and allowing me to share this. And before we start, I just want to quickly pray. Dad, um, I just pray that this story would uh, find its way to a sensitive and engaged audience. We love you. Amen. I have an addiction. I have been using pornography for the last seven years of my life. I started in seventh grade with fairly tame things like staying up late to seize the censored breasts on Girls Gone Wild video advertisements, but quickly advanced from there. It was instant messaging that taught me to touch type, but pornography taught me to Google. I could find what I wanted when I wanted it and cover my tracks almost perfectly by the time I was 16. Porn started affecting my sleep cycles and my study habits. There are periods that I used it like an antidepressant. Soon enough, it simply became habit. Good days, bad days. They all started ending with me locked away with a computer, feeding my appetite for eye candy. I think the first time it really hit me that my consumption of porn might be affecting me was when my family fell deeply into debt, and I learned that the debt was in part due to my father loading up credit cards with pornography. Before this, I remember fantasizing about turning 18 and getting my first credit card so that I could buy access to pay sites. When I discovered my father's problem, that all changed. Suddenly, it didn't seem okay anymore. This is one of the times I stopped using. I don't remember how long, but for a while, I stopped. However, like anything that is easy, fun, exciting, and feels good, it wasn't long before I was back into the swing of things. This time, however, the internet was different. Sometime around 2005, the business model of YouTube exploded onto the porn scene. All of a sudden, free videos were everywhere and all just a click away. These sites feature everything from pirated full-length movies to home movies featuring girlfriends and wives that may or may not have known the videos their partners were making would end up on the internet. Since then, I've tried to stop at least five times for a number of different reasons. When I learned about my dad spending all that money on what I had always dreamed of buying, 
That was the first inkling of a problem that I needed to stop. But it wasn't until the last couple of years that I started to really think about not only the reason that pornography was a negative part of my life, but also how my life was improved during the times of freedom. When I'm using porn, I find it easy to spend 30 to 45 minutes at least every time I sit down and plug in. Once I'm in the thick of it, though, it's seductively easy to go ahead and push for an hour or two because there are always new women to look at and sex acts to explore. When I'm not using porn, I get those hours back. Reclaiming this time helps me feel better about everything because I have more time to spend with my friends or to take care of responsibilities so that it's easier to keep up with everything. When I'm using porn, I spend the first 10 to 15 minutes shopping. I get good at snap judgments about women, I see. Too big, too short, too small, wrong color, wrong shape. If I don't like someone, I move on. With 300 new women to search every day, you have to be quick and ruthless. Why waste your time on less than perfect when there are plenty more to choose from? I would think that this doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life, but just as much as I am already taught to discriminate based on how attractive I think a woman is, practicing shopping for the best characteristics every single night just makes the impulse harder to ignore. As I distance myself from that routine, I can feel some of the impulse dissolving. When I'm using porn, I am paranoid. I learn to hide things and then how to best hide them and how to cover my tracks. Porn taught me to Google, but it also taught me how to use Windows. I keep a secret folder hidden, but no matter how well I hide the files, the women I save for later, I always worry that someone will find them. When I'm free of pornography, there is no folder hidden. When I'm using porn, every time, every once in a while, I find myself dependent on it for masturbation. Everything seems to work right, but without calling up a video or looking through some photos, I just can't seem to get all the way to orgasm. Sometimes it's easy enough to write it off as a fluke, but other times it's downright scary. I'm a college male. It's supposed to be a high point of my sexual virility, and when it doesn't work, that is terrifying. I don't want to trap myself in a dependency on something like pornography before I ever get the chance to have sex for real. When I'm using porn, I look through all sorts of hardcore and softcore varieties, from nothing more complicated than pictures of naked women, all the way to big groups of people performing all sorts of sexual acts. But in addition to this spectrum of fairly normal sexuality, I also browse my way through some truly bizarre, if not dangerous, disgusting, or illegal forms of sexuality because it's all porn and I'm a very curious person. I have seen things I would prefer to get, forget, had ideas planted in my head for sex acts that I never dreamed to carry out. But in reflecting on these, it's clear to me that I'm losing the ability to differentiate between what I want sex to look like and what porn stars and directors want me to think it should be like. Not only the weird stuff, but everything else. I don't want my sexuality to be controlled. I want my sexuality to be mine. I don't need pornography to help me decide what I like and what I don't. In training my eye to find the most attractive thumbnail image on a page, I've trained my eye to find the most attractive woman in a crowd and to ignore everyone else. In training my sex drive to work on a porn time scale, maybe just the best two to three minutes of a video, I'm developing the habits to get an orgasm as efficiently as possible. I'll have to unlearn all these habits before I can experience my sexuality on the time scale of a real woman. In training myself to use computers to get what I want, I've ensured that I'll spend the rest of my life with porn to think every time I search the internet or I fix my computer. In previewing, in previewing every sex out there I could get my hands on, I've made sure that every woman I ever build a meaningful, romantic relationship will be the follower when it comes to inventing new ways to explore sex together. I've trained myself to live in a fantasy world and it will take a lot of work and heartache to break out of that. 
One of the easiest pitfalls I've encountered over and over again is that the, the idea that what I do alone at my computer doesn't affect anyone else. My powers of rationalization are impressive, and it is just too easy to convince myself that porn is my secret, my business only. I am currently in a committed relationship with a woman that has weathered three of my attempts to stop using pornography. Every time I tell Michelle, not her real name, I mean it, Every time I promise not to go back, I mean it, and for the first couple of months it works. But eventually something goes wrong, or I have a bad night, and it's just too easy to go back to a reliable source of comfort. Then six months later, when I decided I can't keep it up any longer, I want to quit again, and I tell her I mean it, and I stop. The flaw in this plan is that for Michelle, the timeline reads like this. August, he said he would stop for good. February, he said he would stop for good. October, he said he would stop for good. She has no assurance that I won't start again beyond the promises I've made her. Her trust in me is injured, and there is nothing I can do to actively rebuild it. In conversations we've had, it's become clear that the biggest barrier to healing is the mentality that porn is my thing, and she has no business knowing about it or saying anything about it. From my point of view, that's how it's always been. Porn is my business, and that is how I rationalized my continued use for it for so long. It was never about her. I don't use pornography because she isn't pretty enough for me or because I want things that she won't give. I use pornography because it's easy. It feels good and it's always available. When I say it out plainly though, it sounds like this. I spend 30 minutes or more on a daily basis looking at other women, naked and masturbating while I do it. What I do with pornography is definitely her business. I think it's reasonable to describe porn as a use of I think it's reasonable to describe porn use as a form of mental infidelity. I don't want to be a cheater, and as much as I don't want to say it, I think porn makes me one. I have an addiction. I have been using porn for the last seven years of my life, and I want to stop. Not long ago, I had a revelation and began to recognize women for so much more than their bodies and what they were willing to do with them. I'm coming to see them as beautiful and sacred, and it feels incredible. I never want to go back. I realize that I will never be free of the desire to sit down and plug in, but comparing what I've gained to stopping, more time, more peace, more confidence, and more love of what I've left behind, I know that I've made the right decision and I want to hold myself to it. I want to hold myself to it for me, for my partner, for my family, my friends, and everyone else in the world because I don't want it to control me any longer. My sexuality is my own and I don't want anyone else to define it. We've had the opportunity to listen to one student's thoughtful, honest reflection. As campus counselor, I am aware that he is not alone in this journey. There are many students who have their own stories related to this issue. We have invited Sheldon Swartz to talk about pornography from an educational standpoint. Sheldon is a therapist in the Goshen area who has experience in working with people as they, as they are on their journey with pornography. Let's give them our attention. Simple definition of pornography, sexually explicit pictures, writing, or other material whose primary purpose is to elicit sexual arousal. Sometime back, a 60-year-old committed Christian man with an impeccable-looking family of grown kids and grandkids came to me for counseling. 
He had recently finally admitted to his wife a chronic problem with porn. He wanted to deal with that and eventually get marriage counseling since there were some issues there that weren't being dealt with. And yes, you can imagine what one of them was. Not enough sex, even at 60. What he hadn't told his wife and didn't intend to was that his use of porn was just the tip of the iceberg. That over the years at various points he had engaged in some prostitution and would have sex with female staff that he worked with. I told him that I would not be an accomplice to his secrecy and that if he wanted his wife to come in, he would need to come clean with her. Actually, if he wanted to grow, he eventually would have had to anyway. He couldn't imagine doing that because he didn't want to lose her. Long story short, he did come clean, and his wife, though very upset, mostly because of the secrecy, is slowly and painfully working with him to see if they can create a relationship built on honesty and openness. I think their marriage finally has a chance. I think he has a chance. Obviously, God created us in a way that normally sexual arousal is profoundly pleasurable. And I have no problem with believing that God, one of the things God was thinking about that when he, it was one of the things God was thinking about when he said, it's very good. Because of the sexual arousal porn is designed to elicit, if one wants to avoid it, some compelling reasons are needed, especially since access to it is as easy as opening the fridge. We could look at the continuum of lingering a bit too long over advertisements on our homepage to becoming totally controlled by the craving, leading to very risky and destructive behavior to oneself and others. And all of us, if we have eyes to see and hearts that long for pleasure, are somewhere on that continuum. And there's lots of information out there about the different stages in moving from one end of the continuum to the other. We could look at the reality that using porn is not isolated to men, that a significant percentage of women also struggle with it. However, I'm not going to focus on things like that, since I have found that refraining from porn requires a consistent and strong desire to do so. I'm going to identify a few factors that may help at the motivational level. First point. Pornography substitutes respect for the value and dignity of another human being for a quick superficial thrill for oneself. In the story of Adam waking up and seeing Eve for the first time, if you were at all like me, you would have thought that the primary thing that Adam felt was sexual arousal, that he immediately wanted to have sex. Thinking that way may be an indicator of how far we've drifted. Let's remember in this story that he has just finished the task of naming the animals as he looked for a companion. He'd look in their eyes, see they were looking at him, but for some reason, nothing connected. No luck. He still felt alone. I suspect the real thrill in seeing Eve was that here was another human being like himself. His longing for human companionship could now be met. Of course, that initial sense of intimacy led to sexual union, 
but I doubt if the longing for sexual union came first. Viewing pornography distracts one from one's own deepest desires for human companionship. And then, of course, these human, bega human beings began to screw things up, as we all do. They took what God had created and made it into an idol, giving up the true center. As a result of becoming self-centered, they became, became users rather than worshipers and lovers of God first, using the other to try to fill the void left by their choice to separate from the true source of life. Users cannot recognize and respect another's dignity and personhood. That's not what the other person is there for. Loss of respect and value for another human being always leads to loss of intimacy and broken relationship. Using pictures of another person for sexual gratification cheapens and diminishes the God-given value of that human being. And the protest that the person chose to use his or her body in such a way, or the protest test that it's just a picture, doesn't change the reality that another human being is used as an object and one's overall view of what men or women are for is being affected. I wanted to say too, I really appreciate the student's, student writing out his experience and um, talking about his struggle with this. It takes a lot of vulnerability. Sex, when used to meet a need it was not intended to meet, leads to a craving for more. We all deal with lust, wanting something to feel good in the moment rather than feeling the stress and pain in our lives that has to do with our brokenness and separation from ourselves, each other, and God. And since any time we use what has been created for our rich enjoyment to get ourselves a little pleasure in the moment, whether that's food, sleep, shopping, sex, work, etc., it takes more and more of it to get the fix. Unchecked, of course, it will lead into being bound to whatever it is that we have misused. It slowly begins to take over one's life. Emotional trauma tends to speed this process up. And one's thought that I'll stop just short of losing control is exactly what leads to it. That, along with just this once, or I'll get a new start tomorrow, or I'll look at just one more site, are self-deceptions that arrive just in time to make indulging in the moment acceptable. I appreciate what the students shared about the power of rationalization, which I think is simply a way to make something right that one believes to be wrong at some level. A struggler is climbing onto solid ground when he or she can admit, unless something happens that so far has not happened in my life, I will do this again tomorrow. Freedom to choose begins with facing the truth and owning it. Thirdly, viewing porn fosters unrealistic sexual expectations for one's marriage partner 
and therefore leads to unnecessary disappointment. Because it seems that, that using porn is primarily about sexual gratification, for those who believe that sex should be reserved for marriage, it seems that legitimized frequent sex with their partner would reduce the temptation to use porn. I've talked with many men who were surprised that after a few days, weeks, or months of marriage, the temptation came back just as strong as it ever was, even if they had had sex the night before. Marriage, or legitimized sex, is not a cure for the problem. It only masks it temporarily. Not only does viewing porn lead to unrealistic expectations of one par one's partner in terms of frequency, yes, it is possible to use one's partner as a sex object, it also brings into the relationship pictures or images that interfere with one's ability to be fully present with one's partner and trust that the richest sexual enjoyment comes out of the love and creativity and fantasies of that relationship without being contaminated from the outside, something from the outside that's been used for sexual gratification. Porn makes comparison with something outside of the marriage so much easier and can communicate to one's significant other that something is lacking in them, which never works in favor of true intimacy. Fourth, pornography is a powerful distraction from the hard work of living and loving well. Some of you, I'm sure, have experienced the thrill of loving another person well of having moments when you're aware that the impact of your life on another has been to touch deep longings in their soul. When you've been blessed to be a conduit of life to them, when because of your involvement, something has come alive in them and they are more free to live in the awareness of being deeply loved and valued by God and wanting to live with others in a way that love gets shared. That's one kind of thrill. Jesus did say that the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to care for those around us with as much concern as we have for ourselves. I believe that, I believe that because that is the greatest commandment, it is also the greatest and deepest pleasure. But Jesus also said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. If you haven't yet, you will. The use of porn is a powerful distraction from the challenges that one is faced with in life, from avoiding working on that paper to dealing with significant conflict and pain in a valued relationship. There's a lot in life that is simply no fun to deal with. But life calls us to the work of learning to love oneself one's partner, one's world. All of you may be far enough along in your life to be discovering that you cannot learn to love well without getting hurt. And that hurt is in the relationship with other human beings, the very humans with whom we long to live in a community of love and mutual concern and consideration. That brings me to my next point. Intimacy is hard, porn is easy.
one can, for a few moments, escape and get quick relief from the struggle to engage life well and the fear and pain and hope that go along with that. With porn, one can maximize control. You can do anything you want with the image. You're in charge. And minimize the pain. You never risk rejection from an image. Since sexual arousal and the movement towards orgasm seems to be one of the most profound invitations to pleasure, it is a real temptation to want to take the shortcuts to that pleasure, to try to bypass the pain and very real struggle instead of being aware of one's vulnerability and going through it. One could say that using porn is an attempt to find a shortcut to intimacy, but if habitually taken, will get one lost because there is no real person that one is connecting with. And it's a little scary if you've practiced relating to a fantasy and gotten so good at it that you can't relate to real people, honestly and openly. Some thoughts about helping yourself or others that you may become aware of that struggle with this difficulty. Obviously, because of the shame connected with the porn habit, it's difficult to open up to another and one may try to do everything one knows to deal with the problem without exposure to anyone else. I should be strong enough, determined enough, smart enough to deal with this. What's wrong with me anyway? When a person longs to see him or herself as adequate to deal with life's issues, it's humbling to admit being out of control and one's pride may do anything it can to keep things secret. There's a problem. You can't get well in the dark. Your best weapon against being controlled by viewing porn is a commitment to honesty with at least, with at least one other person over a period of time, being specific about what one is doing, where one has been, etc. And that person should not be your girlfriend or boyfriend. There's simply too much at stake in the relationship. Transparency may require being honest with him or her about the reality of the struggle and asking for support in dealing with it. I think it's almost impossible to continue down a destructive path if one is committed to honesty and openness. There is something about putting the truth into words that is freeing. Confession, just in itself, has power to free us to make choices rather than act compulsively. I am part of a men's group that for at least 15 years has met regularly every Friday morning in the little back room in the county seat downtown. I started the group insisting that we stay away from discussing sports and politics, the easy things to talk about where our emotions are involved. It's been difficult to stick with that, especially since there are such important things going on in the sports world and the political world. We talk about what we face in our marriages, about what we face in dealing with our kids, 
about other real issues that help us engage life in the things that matter. Let's face it, don't kill me for this, it doesn't really matter who wins the Super Bowl. But it does really matter how I relate to my wife and kids. I have to say that the most meaningful times in the life of this group occur when someone takes the risk of honestly admitting their true feelings about their real-life struggles, especially sexual temptation. The group has ranged in age from men in their 20s to men in their 50s. One of the men had definitely been a sex addict, and it bonded us together in some wonderful ways as we walked with him over a number of years to freedom. And by the way, one thing that he said along the way that just sticks with me, he said, you can't ask another person to make you accountable. No one else can keep you accountable. You can account for yourself. Yes, men in their 50s, 60s, and 70s still have to deal with lust. The issue doesn't go away. And that's part of what helps one deal with it successfully, knowing that it's not going away. You can't get rid of the problem. You can only learn to choose how you relate to it. And it is one thing to do what one can to stop the behavior. Another renewed commitment to stop, making access more difficult by putting a filter on your computer, staying away for where one knows one will be triggered. But it is very difficult to stop a compulsion if one is focused on not doing it and has nothing to begin doing, like practicing being honest in all areas of one's life, choosing to face more directly issues in one's own life where one's anxiety, one's anger, fear, resentment, emptiness, and confusion give a strong hint that something important is going on in there that needs to be attended to. Strangely, perhaps, facing the real issues in our lives works to diminish the drive to take the easy out. True personal strength comes from facing those issues rather than running from them. But this calls us to a dependence on God and others that initially we may not be comfortable with but eventually come to experience as the route to life and freedom. God does work with us to bring life out of death if we are willing. Thanks, Sheldon, for your input and also for just being available um, as a person that I can refer students to when they come to me um, knowing that they want to work with someone. Um, we hope that you've had an opportunity this morning to hear some things that in can encourage you to continue thinking about and talking about this issue. Um, I want to let you know of some ways to continue from here because this is really just an opportunity to begin. Um, tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. we'll be having discussion groups for men and women to continue talking. Sheldon will lead the men's discussion in Newcomer 19, and I'll lead the women's discussion group in 
the RFC Classroom 106. If you'd like to talk, so if you'd be interested in talking more about um, this issue, please come to that. If you'd like to talk individually with someone, um, like it was encouraged, if that's something that would be helpful, I invite you to talk with somebody you trust. Or if there's a faculty member that you think would, that you'd be able to share with, or another adult that you feel comfortable with, um, you're also welcome to come and visit with me, and I'd be glad to work with you to help you get the support you need on your journey. If you're interested in more information on this issue, I have several websites that I'd like to suggest. And they're going to put that up, or I'm going to put that up. Are you going to put that up? There it is. Um, www.sexhelp.com has much information provided by Patrick Carnes, who is known um, for his expertise in the area. It has a lot of um, information and also assessments if you want it to use. Um, www.faithfulandtrueministries.com is another website, and that comes from a Christian perspective. We've heard, um, as Sheldon talked, about the very helpful um, and important possibility of being accountable on this journey. Triple X Church provides a number of software programs for this. Um, www.x3watch.com has both accountability software and filtering software. X3watch is a program set up to allow you to give accountability names. And so you would put a couple friends or maybe um, your family members and they would be notified um, if you were going to a site that, held, that had pornographic information. And there's no filtering involved, it's just you would be connected to each other and be accountable. Um, Safe Eyes is another software program on this site that does allow for some filtering if that would be more helpful. This information will be available on the counseling website. It's not now, but Nelda said she'll help me put it up in the near future. And also in hard copy in the Wellness and Health Center. Jake Scheip will also have hard copies available in the dorms if you want to use um, or have the information. Thanks for your attention this morning. And I look forward to working together as a community to just encourage each other to be healthy and um, to be free to talk together. Thanks.